Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today, we are going to talk about how to pick a place for your loved one. We are speaking with an executive director, Joe Conver of a senior living facility in Southern Florida. Joe, welcome. Your dad is looking for your grandma, right? In South Florida. You could even take me through the experience of, you know, like my grandmother's 93 years old. Today, I found out she has a broken vertebra. Like she's fallen multiple times. She's had a stroke. She's had a heart attack. She has home AIDS. You know, a lot of people want to age in place. And they probably come to you in situations like that. So, yeah, so let's dialogue about that. So the idea of going from country clubs into senior living is very much of an easy transition because what it is, is high-end people that have lived well and saved well their entire lives. And so what they need to do and what they're looking for is to continue to live, right? And to not, not go into a senior living community and say, okay, this is my last resting place. When I got into senior living, there was a recruiter. They said, Joe, you know, we're really looking for somebody within your, your realm to kind of talk about or to kind of build that team, number one, and do exactly what you're doing in country clubs. And so I, I did that and got into it in, in Pittsburgh. And so I got recruited from a company down here in Florida from Pittsburgh. Talk to me, like kind of how your career evolved. I mean, you went from being in the service because you said you had really bad grades and yes. nobody else, you know, is opening doors from you. You're jumping out of planes and, and yeah. then what? Yeah. So then I, I, I transitioned from the military to country clubs and then from country clubs, I got into senior living and then senior living is really so the, kind of the same idea from senior living and country clubs because it's people that have lived well and saved well their entire lives. And so they want to continue to live just because they can't live on their own anymore, or they need a little bit of care, or they need a little bit more uh, connection, that's when they start thinking about senior living. Number one, it's building the team that is that continuity of care, which is very important, right? And then so the idea of, you know, your grandma is looking for senior living now, right? So we kind of talked about the idea of what does that senior look like? So the senior that is looking for senior living has been on their own, they've been married for a number of years, they're very successful in their lives and either they're both aging and they need somebody, but more frankly, one of the spouses has passed. And so they've been living in their house by themselves. They are eating cheese and crackers. They are not living their best lives. They're just kind of going day to day. And, you know, when everybody else, when, when this society is so busy, you know, grandchildren are busy, our children are busy. 
And so they don't get to see their, their mom or their grandparents as often as they would like. So they don't understand what that day-to-day looks like for their loved one. And a lot of times it, it circulates around holidays. Easter was just mm-hmm. here. Passover was just here. And so we got a lot of connections because that's when people move, when they travel, they, they see their loved ones and they say, grandma or mom, how's everything going? What is going on? And then, so they realize around family situations when there's more people get to kind of chime in to what that loved one is looking for or how they've declined. It's like, wow, you know, I haven't seen mom in a month or two months, you know, and, and we really need to kind of talk about what that looks like. And so, you know, they'll call Joe and they say, Joe, you know, tell us about senior living and tell us what, what about that? What, what does that look like? So the discovery process is very important. And so how the discovery process is, is myself or the sales director will come in and they'll say, tell me about your mom. Tell me about your grandma. What does she like? What does she not like? What does she like to eat? Tell me about her life. Was she married? Did she have a profession that she loved? You know, what were her hobbies? And so we start talking about that and say, okay, when is the last time she played tennis? When is the last time she went to the gym? When is the last time she played pickleball? When is the last time she knitted? When, when is the last time she had a great meal? It's like, oh my God, it's been years. You know, dad passed, grandpa passed 10 years ago and she's been living in the house. Um, she's very resistant to, to come over to senior living. I say, okay, so let's talk about that. And so we start talking about what that looks like. It's a big transition. So when you transition into something into senior living, it's very nerve wracking. It is very much like your elementary or high school days. Think about the time when you went from eighth grade into ninth grade or from sixth grade into seventh grade. It's a whole new world. And the cafeteria is new. The seating arrangements are new. The people already have clicks. And it's very daunting when a senior goes into a community like that. And a lot of times it says, you know what? I don't want to deal with that drama. I don't want to deal with meeting somebody new. I'm happy in this home that, you know, we've lived before for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And so I'm okay. I'm okay with it. And so with a lot of understanding, a lot of passion, a lot of compassion, you know, you you sit and say, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? What I tell a lot of people is let me find your next best friend. And so they're like, I don't need another friend. Well, okay. So let's talk about, do you like people? Yes. Do you want to talk to to people? Yes. When is the last time you had a great friend? Well, it was years ago. Tell me about that. We used to talk. We used to go to lunch. We used to do this. And then you start seeing them light up. So you do like people. You do want to be connected. So we have a wonderful community that has a lot of activities, but they have a lot of people that are in, in the same situation where they was very reluctant to come into a community like this. We understand that that comfort zone needs to kind of be understood and understanding, you know, when you come over, you know, you'll meet a lot of great people. So we talk about that. And then, so that's a big portion of it going hand in hand with that is the idea of that, that care, you know, okay. So what if grandma, what if mom slips, what happens then? And so, or what happens, you know, when she needs care or I can't get to, to my mom or my, my grandmother because I work all the time. And how am I going to get her to her doctor's appointment? She's been on her own. She's driven to all of her appointments and now she can't drive anymore senior living communities, they understand that. And so there are van services, there's a town car that goes along with it as well. 
And so we can get you know, them to their appointments if need be. But we also have that mobile medical piece where actually doctors do do house calls. The doctors will come into the residence and they will see them. And so then that's really kind of a few different dynamics when that happens is the residents know the nurse practitioner or the doctor that comes in through activities, through dining. You know, they feel, feel very comfortable because they, they talk about having that same doctor, which is great. And when the doctor or the nurse practitioner comes in, they might have, you know, four or five patients that they'll see if they're walking through the dining room or if they're going through an activity, they might just go up to your mom and say, you know what, how's everything feeling? Hi, they feel connected and they feel that they're part of the family. And so, you know, with that nurse practitioner, there's a few other things that happens. There's the home health agency that we team up with. If something more needs happen, if there's physical therapy, we have that on site. All those folks kind of talk to each other through all that. We'll have weekly meetings. So everybody gets in a room and we talk about all of our residents, you know, and so the chef is there, the nurse is there, the home health, the physical therapy person. And we all talk about it. We start from, um, you know, I'll call it alphabetical order. And, you know, so when we get to your grandma, we'll talk about her. How is she acclimating into the community? Who is she talking to? Is she going through activities? Is she eating well in the dining room? What does she like to eat? If the chef says every morning she, she loves strawberries, I mean, the last couple of times, she, you know, she really hasn't had very much of an appetite. And then so the nurse will say, hmm, okay, let me make some notes and let's, let's figure that out. And then so the nurse and the chef kind of work hand in hand and understand what those likes and what those dislikes are. Home health agency, the physical therapy, the physical therapist um, is talking about your mom, your grandmother, about how she's been reacting to physical therapy. And so the chef understands if she's been in physical therapy. So when chef does table visits and goes up to your grandma and says, I see that you don't have a walker anymore, or you're doing great, or you know, how are things going? And she can be understanding and compassionate about what your grandma is understanding and what is she doing because we're all communicating together as a family and understanding what those needs are. What we do is we see people that have been in 5,000, 10,000 square feet homes that have, are living in their kitchen in one room or just kind of been recluse come into a community. It, it takes a couple of weeks for them to kind of acclimate, to get them out of their room. And then we do a plan of care with them. And then we, we circle back. The greatest thing that I love is when, you know, when you, when you say, I haven't seen my grandmother look so good. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for, for everything. It excites me because when you're walking through and feeling that gratitude is fantastic. It's good stuff. I want to be the devil's advocate here. What happens when they can't feed themselves? What happens when they can't get themselves to the bathroom? What happens when, you know, they really need some yep. recovery time? Absolutely. So when you're talking about that, that declining in age, right? So we want to help our residents live their best lives and, and live successfully. But aging will happen whether we like it or not. And so in assisted living community, getting into an assisted living community little bit before you really need it. So then you understand that transition and that, oh, you know, the, the idea of 55 plus is not happening. We're talking about 80, 85, 90 year olds that are that, that kind of said, okay, we need that level of care. And so for assisted living, there are generally speaking kind of four levels of care. And so you might start out with maybe just needing a little bit of cueing, 
somebody just kind of knocking on your door and saying, okay, it's time for breakfast or it's time for activities. And then it might transition into, okay, it's time for, for showers. I'm just going to be here very independent. We very much promote independence as long as possible. And so those levels of care kind of continue from, let me just be here. And then it goes all up to, I need help putting on my clothes. I need help with all of my showers. Um, I, and then it goes into, I need help toileting, which is very, you know, and so we understand that. And there's a lot of training that goes around with personal hygiene, with giving showers, with toileting, because that's what's called uh, ADLs, which is your activities of daily living. And so your activities of daily living. So people that are watching this podcast and trying to understand what senior living looks like, the ADLs is a qualifying terminology that helps people understand what that looks like. So activities of daily living are grooming, eating, bathing, toileting. Based on that, some people might need more, some people might need less. But to answer your questions that the care partners that we have in assisted living, uh, assisted living is 24-7. So we have a nurse, an RN, that is called our director of resident care. So the residents are called residents, they're not called patients. There are residents, just like you're living in a an apartment complex, they're called apartments. And so the director of resident care understands what those care plans are. He or she has three or four LPNs that kind of run those shifts when you're talking about medication management, taking care of and managing those care partners. And so the care partners get training all the time, talking about how to toilet, how to give showers, how to tie shoes, and understanding that not to get frustrated. And so the, the training and the compassion always happen, always, always. They understand that they're not, they're, they're not getting pushy. And so that's important. And from a business standpoint, you know, those levels of care, they're not cheap. The continuing from level one to level two to level three can get pretty substantially financially. And so it's not a matter of, you know, us telling you, you know, your grandma needs from going from level one to level three, but seeing what that transition looks like. And that's where those partnerships with the, the in-house physical therapy, the in-house home health, our nurse, our LPNs, our care partners, our chef, everybody, the activities directors, all looking out for your grandma to understand how that decline is happening. And we're there every single day, kind of monitoring that and letting you know what those needs are. So it's not a surprise and it's an agreement. And then in our community, there's a lot of communities in South Florida that's called an ECC license, which is that extended congregate care, which we want to have your loved one kind of be in our community as their last home. There are catheter needs, there's diabetic needs. There's a lot of things that we can manage on the care level to kind of keep your loved one out of that skilled nursing facility. And that's the difference between an assisted living facility with nurses kind of around the clock and kind of taking care of it. Because, you know, once you get into that skilled nursing facility, it's very tough to see because then that's, then that, that's that clinical model 100% takes over and it's kind of the closest thing that you can get to a hospital. And sometimes, you know, family members, they need that, that skilled care all the time. But if you get into that right community with that ECC license in Florida, then you can, they can help a lot of what happens with that aging process. And so we, we kind of take care of all that with the nurses, with the home health, with the physical therapy, we're all, all there taking care of those needs. 
there's so much terminology. What really are the big differences between skilled and the ECC? Absolutely. So, so generally speaking, in the state of Florida, there are three different licenses. There's a standard license where when it's talking about assisted living facility. So an assisted living facility, it's not one-on-one care. There's a nurse on staff. There's three meals a day. There is housekeeping. There's laundry services. But generally speaking, you are pretty independent. Medication management is all three, and we really didn't touch base on that, but I will. And But it's really for the independent person that can still, generally speaking, get around. Um, maybe with a walker, maybe need a little bit of medication management, still participate in a lot of activities, but just needs a little bit of help from time to time. The second license is a limited nursing license, which has some, uh, some nursing needs, which they can help a little bit more with some of those more expanded needs within care, but still limited. And then the ECC is that the highest level of care that you can provide that really can help out a family member. Just from my own research, really only kind of 10 to 12 percent of the of the aging population really need skilled care. If you get into a community that has that ECC, you really don't necessarily need that skilled care component. Now, I don't want to discount what a, a senior living community or a skilled nursing facility does or needs because there's definitely that need for it for you know up to that 15% of the population, which is a pretty significant amount of the population. So So the skilled care facilities definitely are needed for those that have lived well, that have saved well, that are generally speaking in good health, that might be just need a little bit more care to the end, you know, we we can help them. And then when you're talking about that next level is hospice, which kind of goes along with your needs. Hospice is a very critical part of those last days. And a few things about hospice. So hospice is coming in six months generally speaking, the last six months of life. And so what I've noticed is there's there's some communities out there that use hospice as a crutch. If your listeners are listening through all of this and really want to understand what senior living is, I really want them to kind of understand what this hospice is part of. Talk about your grandma. Your, your grandma's over 90. What, what is she? She's 93. And I really like what you just said. Hospice is a crutch because I don't like how I have heard doctors say you really should do hospice. I've seen them offer that to people 30 years younger than my grandmother. I don't agree with that. Yes. And I, and I don't agree with it as well because there is a need for hospice and hospice will provide a lot. But when you're talking about, and I don't want to go down this road, right? Taxes and the government, it's a, it's, it's a government aid for the, the compassion, right? Because we live in the United States, one of the greatest countries in the world. And I believe that. And the idea of our government stepping in and saying, yes, we will provide through Medicare, through Medicaid funds available for hospice. Mm -hmm. So your loved one can live there out their last six months in in a Mm -hmm. a compassionate state. And we will provide incontinence care. Just like you said, doctors or hospice agencies might come in very early because it's a money generating business. I've seen a lot of a lot of folks where grandma goes on to end a hospice. They're there for, for six months. I don't want to caught up in the minutia where, you know, you're getting calls where hospice can be more than six months or that, but it really is for that last six months. Maybe your grandma lives another three years. People are living to, to 100, 101, 102, you know? So if your grandma goes into a senior living community 
she might be declining in her home, but when she gets around people, when she gets around the care that she needs and she gets onto some more medication management, because maybe she's not taking her medications at home because nobody's watching her. She might live for another seven years, right? I mean, that's the, that's the reality. And so, you know, oh, oh, she's 91, you know, let's get her on hospice because we can provide it. After six, seven, eight months, they'll discharge her and be like, nope, sorry. You know, we can't have her on hospice anymore. And so a hospice agency will say, you know, we're discharging your mom. And so now you're in tune with it. It's part of her livelihood. And now it's like, well, wait a minute. What, what do you mean you're discharging her? What, what do you mean you're not going to have her on service anymore? They might have put her on pain management as, as strong as morphine to, you know, to kind of manage the pain and continent supplies. And so now she's dependent on this and she might be taking morphine because for the pain, because that's hospice protocol. And after six, seven months of it, well, wait a minute, right? So to your point and to the listeners, be very, very cautious when, when that first thing is hospice. Again, hospice is, is very much needed. I 100% agree with hospice, but we need to understand what that, what that diagnosis is before you just jump to hospice. Yeah. And what happens when you are discharged? <laughs> then where do you go? Correct. And, and a lot of families are, are put out because then they get that bad taste in their mouth. Once you get discharged, that doesn't mean you can't always go back, but people are very hesitant to get back on. And then there's a, there's a whole cycle of how long you need to be off of it, what that, all that looks like. And that's just, it's just something that's you don't necessarily want to get back into because then you're off and on again, off again. But to be very clear, if you go on hospice and get off of it, at some point you can get back on hospice, but it's a, it's a very touchy situation for sure. Oh my gosh. Another thing that I just don't understand is why it's so hard to get physical therapy. Like, I feel like the hoops that people have to jump through to get that approved is also needing to be updated. <laughs> Because during the pandemic, especially like so many people did not move around. And I know that when my grandmother gets physical therapy, it's like night and day with her cognition, with what she's able to do with everything. I think probably everyone needs physical therapy that's 65 plus after this pandemic. No doubt about it. I was actually just with my physical therapist. I'm like, you know, tell me what exercise I need to do for this. You know, my shoulders, this, or my knees are this. Oh, 100%. That's what's great about being in a senior living community because they're all there, right? And that's what we were talking about is, and so getting into Medicare, Medicaid, Part A, Part B, there's a lot of things that, you know, people that are, you only, you only have one set of parents or one set of grandparents, you might have two, you know, so in reality, you might be going through this four times, right? Maybe if, if both your parents or grandparents are able to do it, but generally speaking, you know, a lot of people, they're just, they're doing it for the first time. And so they don't know a lot of the moving parts about mm. it. And so that's where you're kind of going through the discovery process. I know you're going through this right now. So I mean, when can you're, you imagine going through this? Oh, it's, it's, it's daunting. It's really daunting. And I've been in this for uh, about five years now. And it's, it's, I'm still learning something about, about all the nuances of it. When you're partnering with, with great people that understand these things, that's where, that's what's great. So in the senior living community, when you're talking about getting into that, that physical therapy and that home health, and then that nurse practitioner or that doctor group that come in, they all work together and they all talk about it. And so if your loved one in the community needs that, those subject matter experts are 
right down the hall. Right. So, you know, and if you're going so many placement agencies too, how do you know who to trust? Yep. Yeah, that's a great point. There's a lot of big players out there. There's two you know, huge players. There's caring.com and a place for mom. And so those are the big ones. And then there's a lot of kind of smaller, either, you know, kind of call them mom and pop shops or the, the one single proprietors that really care about it. It does get daunting about how to find somebody to, to get it. There's a lot of value in a placement agency if you find that right one. And just like you and I, I mean, we, we connected and, and we, we built a bond and a build a trust between you and I. And it's the same way between that and a, and, a, and a partnership with a placement agency. Do you generally trust that person when they listen to you about, I've never been in a senior living community. I know I want to be in this area. I know I want to be you know, five miles from, from this general area. Can you help me out? And so these placement agencies, they are connected with the executive directors and the sales directors and the activities, and they've been in and out. And so they really can help out with narrowing down, you know, tell me your price range. Tell me what you're looking for. Tell me the location, right? Um, real estate, location, 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 uh, which is a big part of it. You know, go through the process and say, okay, based on what you've talked to me about, I've got three communities that I you should go see. In South Florida, within a 10-mile radius, there are 32 senior living communities within the community that I'm building right now. 32. Everything from 10 or 15 to, to 200 and everything in between. So those placement agencies really can help out with pointing people in the right direction that have gone through it for the first time. As a family member, you don't pay them, right? So they're paid by the community. And typically what it is, it's, it's that first month or it's a portion of that first month's rent. So some of the qualifying agencies, you know, how do you get paid? Well, we get paid by the community. Okay. So are you telling me that you're going to show me the most expensive ones? So you get paid the most? No, we understand what your budget is. And we're going to go kind of talk about what the budget is kind of going through all that understanding because they've been in those communities. They see the actions, they see the ins and outs. Right. So if a person that's placed somebody or placed two or three people in one specific community and notice that, that they are not happy or they have left, then they understand, hmm, there, you know, there might be something going on. The staying power, you know, the, the turnover. And so they can see that then there, there's a lot of turnover or not a lot, of, you know, but there's turnover in management. There's turnover in nurses. The placement agency person can actually see all that and understand that. And, uh, and be in tune with that so they can kind of answer a lot of those questions from a family member. And so the family member needs to say, okay, you're going to show me three places. Here's some of the things that I want to know. How long has the executive director been there? How long has the nurse been there? What is the turnover for care partners? Are they paying? Are they, and you can't really necessarily get into pay, but you know, are they paying them well? You know, is there, are people flocking because they're not paying right? What is the culture of that community? And so a good placement agency person will say, yes, the executive director has been there for two years, three years. Oh, the nurse has been on staff for two or three years, five years, whatever that looks like. Um, there's not a lot of turnover. The culture is good and people are there and they're building census based on that culture. Before you go into a community, you, you understand what that looks like. And so when you're going there, then you follow up with those questions. What about the average length of stay? Absolutely. Are there big varying numbers there? When you're talking about the length of stay, it is. And so why are they moving out, right? The length of stay is if people are passing, I mean, that's the reality is people leaving by because they're not happy. And, and so 
that gets very convoluted in the state of Florida and every state, you can actually go on to the state, a state portal and figure out what the deficiencies are of that community. So those are big things. If you are, again, if your listeners are still paying attention to this and under, and really understanding and want to get into it, going on to the state sites and you can see, so senior living communities are regulated by the state. And so state has to come in, depending on the state, every six months, every year, maybe twice a year. And they'll do a full audit, everything from trash cans on lids to furniture inside the, the, the room to medication management to what the census is, what the turnover is. They'll go into and talk to employees. They'll talk to residents. And there could be 200 different questions and, and, and uh, things that they will go through. If a senior living community is not upholding to it, that doesn't mean necessarily mean that they, they're shut down because the states, that's not their objective is to shut people down, but to, to survey them. And it could be a, a warning. It could be a corrective action. It could be up, where, up to a fine. And so understanding and doing that due diligence on your own as a consumer, right? Asking the, that placement agency or just going out there and kind of talking about what that is, you should absolutely do that due diligence. You're right? going to have out. to give me those sites I and will. I'll put them in the show notes. Yeah, that's really good information. I would love to know, like, so you've been in healthcare and senior care for five years. What changes have you seen from when you started until now? Very much so. I've spent eight years in the military and then I got to college. And then I, I grew up in freestanding restaurants, hotels, and country clubs. My management style has, has changed. It's evolved. It's grown. I've managed people. I've failed managing people. I've managed people successfully. I've learned. I've got kicked in the teeth. Being a strong leader is very important. And so I say that with the fact that these senior living communities are being built on every corner and every state and every city because they know that that senior wave is coming. The question on the table is, you know, what have you seen since I've been in senior living? Though senior living has been around for beginning of time, these higher end senior living places are just now popping up because they're being proactive because the baby boomers have lived well, they have saved well, they have long-term care insurance, they have 401k K plans. And so there's that, that disposable income, if you will, or that revenue stream to continue to live their best lives. What I've seen is there's a lot of turnover in the one the executive director position because a few things. Maybe the nurse is a great nurse, very clinical, will come over to the executive director position. The nurse is very matter of fact. Nursing is very black and white. And so that doesn't mean just because you're a great nurse um, means you can be an executive director. Now, I've seen a lot of a number of executive directors that can make that transition. So again, this is a 30,000 foot answer, right? I'm not being very specific on specifics of things, but some nurses do fail because if they can't see that big picture, if they can't see that, that cheerleading aspect, that team building aspect of leading that the whole dynamics, they'll fail. Opening up senior living communities, it's not easy. It's not for the weak or faint of heart. There's long hours. People need to gel together. They all need to work together. If there are people that start to triangulate, you know, and start to kind of talk about other people and, and spread rumors and things, a team can, can be destroyed overnight. And so those are, that's some of the biggest things of building that culture 
because this, this high-end senior living, there isn't a model. And so let me kind of explain, right? So in a hotel or in a freestanding restaurant, there might be an assistant hotel manager or an assistant restaurant manager, if you will, right? And so those assistants, generally speaking, are pretty much doing everything that the director or the restaurant manager is doing, when they're, but they're not getting paid for it, but they're learning, right? And they're learning and they're growing and they're understanding under that mentorship program. And so when they're ready to take that role, they're ready for it because they, generally speaking, have done everything that that person has done above them. Now it's time for them to, to take on that role. When these assistants are doing everything, and so they're ready and then they're primed to take over that. In senior living, there's not a lot of that because there's executive directors that are getting pulled from, just like me, from other industries because if they're great in hospitality or if they're great in other industries, those skill sets kind of transition into it. And so a lot of these senior living communities, there's not an assistant executive director because one, one it's a business, right? So you don't necessarily have to have so much on the payroll. So there's not a lot of kind of in the bullpen, if you will, right? There's not a lot. And so there's a lot of turnover with it. That's the biggest thing because I, I love the leadership portion of it and I love building the, the small team. So in getting everybody on that same page, if you can find an executive director that understands about his leadership style of being a cheerleader, of being that servant leader, when it's really not about him anymore, it's about all the, the directors around him and really kind of setting them up for success. That's when you really build that, that strong team. And if you can find somebody like that, that understands that you check pride the door and you just, you're listening to all of your directors, that's what's starting building that, that culture of a great community. And when you know, did you so, get kicked in the teeth? In management, you know, when you think, you know, when you're, when you're a young manager in ranger school. So I spent eight years in the military, four years in the Marine Corps, and then four years in the army. So I go into ranger school with a Marine Corps mentality. And so I'm leading from the front. People are falling asleep. You know, I'm kicking them. I'm like, let's go, let's go. You know, and I'm like, I think I, I'm, I'm a great leader. I'm a hard charger. Ranger school is three different phases. So at the end of every phase of, of school, you get what's called peer evaluated. And so a peer evaluation is I say, okay, you know, there might be 15 of you, you 15, you rate, you know, the best person to the lowest person based on their leadership. I did everything right. I, I passed all my patrols. I passed everything that I needed to do, but nobody told me about peer evaluation. So I got peered out. And so I had to redo that entire cycle. That leadership training is fantastic because you got to understand, you might think that, that you're leading great, but it's what, what do your peers think about you? You know? And so that was a big wake up call. And so going to the next, the next one is, you know, a machine gun is very heavy. If you're carrying a machine gun, nobody wants to carry a machine gun. And so um, I'm like, I'll do it. I'll, I'll carry it, you know, or I'll do this. And so you're kind of going above and beyond. And, and I kind of had to go to the opposite side to understand what a good leader means and what, what a good leader is supposed to do. It's taking temperature checks within their team to understand, am I a good leader? Am I doing the right thing? And being able to dialogue and keeping your mouth shut and listening to your team as a leader. If I'm not doing something right, then I need to listen to people. What do people remember about you? I'm very passionate about what I do, no matter what it is. If there's something that, that I can get behind, I'm very passionate. I'm very driven and I, and I drive people. I drive people pretty hard. 
and I try to follow up. Uh, you know, I look in the mirror every day to remind myself, you know, not to, not to drive people too hard. I want to bring out the best in people. I want to be bring the best out. I How love do you a good, do that. I love to banter. You know, an argument is not a kick down, a knockdown dragon, right? An argument is not screaming at your top eight lungs. An argument is trying to persuade somebody to the other side. So I always tell people that, you know, I tell my department heads and my directors, you know, look, I'm up for a good argument. Teach me or persuade me, if you will, the other side, because I think I know it because I've been through other situations. And so I go, I take a lot of my directors through those exercises, just like you did. Let me be the devil's advocate. Let me throw in a situation. Let me tell you the other side. If you can convince me to be better, then then I, and I'll, I'll take it, you know, and then that really kind of pushes them to their beliefs. You know, do they truly believe in what they're telling me? And if they can argue that point exhaustively, you know, and, and we agree upon it, then that's great. So, I mean, yeah. I would say the biggest holdup why people aren't going to nursing homes is for the expense. You're still better hiring nurses and having home health care for a long period of time, so right? Talk, nope, no, not necessarily. <laughs> Okay, so, so that's a misconception then. It is because I agree. With, I agree with the fact that price is an issue, right? Cost of a senior living community is not. It's not cheap, right? And especially for some of these higher end senior living communities. But you can't say, well, we're going to make it cheaper and we're going to make it easier for mom because bringing in a home health agency or a nurse into the community that doesn't mean your grandma is going to live her best life. It might be more convenient for you. It might be more convenient for your dad because you don't have to sell the house. She's in a place. She's not resistant because she doesn't know. She doesn't know what she doesn't know. So if she said, I just want to live in my house that I've been here for 50 years. I don't want to go into a senior living community uh, and say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight the situation. All right. We'll bring in home health. So home health or nurse for some, yes, yes, it it can benefit, but that's not necessarily the, the end all be all. Because living your best life is not just maintaining life. It's not just getting up, brushing your teeth, sitting at the kitchen table, waiting for the nurse to come in and make breakfast, right? Or, you know, sit there and, you know, okay, let's go out to the patio. Or I'm just going to sit here and we're going to watch TV all day long, right? Okay, so I've got a personal care aide person that's going to come in, all right? We play Scrabble, we play, we do a puzzle. Does that mean that your grandma's going to live her best life? Does she want to meet somebody? Is a home health agency person, just because she pours a bowl of cereal or cracks an egg in a pan, doesn't mean she's making breakfast, lunch, and dinner with love or with, with delight, right? Senior living communities, you know, some of them, they, they do have lamb chops. There's beer, liquor, and wine. Um, associated with it, right? And so there's a lot of times when I go through dinner service and I'll sit and I'll, and I'll sit and talk to, to residents and I'll say, oh, that's a great meal or that glass of wine or lamb chops or and they're like, oh my God, I haven't had lamb chops or the last time I had lamb chops was in Greece or talk to me about, you know, tell me about you're having a glass of wine. Tell me about, you know, your wine experiences. Oh, Joe, we used to go to Napa Valley once a year you know, for, for 15 years and we loved it. Well, tell me what, what vineyard you like the best. It's so food, beverage, it spawns conversation. Right? That's so very true. That is you know, very true. Grandma can have so much life and there's so much stories, you know, that she can, she can tell and she can talk to people in that generation. Is it the, 
the depression or you know traveling or you know i've had residents in our community that have walked the great wall of china you know has it changed your view on life and legacy very much so i've been very fortunate to live my professional life in hospitality from freestanding restaurants where it's kids coming into a restaurant and you know they're these families might just go out once a month, you know, for for a great dining experience. To hotels where people stay over, where food, and beverage, and, and hospitality is a big part of their life. To country clubs where people that are starting to live well and stay well start going into it. To pre-retirees, to retirees, and now I have the luxury of actually seeing that circle of life from the beginning to the end and understanding what that last ten years of life looks like. I'm living my best life. Because I understand and I'm, I love hospitality. I love listening to people's great stories. I love putting a great product in front of somebody's face. Seeing that and being able to be part of that through activities, through great food, through great care, through great living arrangements. It's pretty fantastic. Is that what absolutely. life is about? Living your best life? Absolutely. Whatever that looks like for that individual? Absolutely. Have people said anything profound to you at the end of days? They have. I've sat in on, on a number of hospice patients, talking to them before the family comes in and, you know, and they're, they're holding my hand and, and kind of talking about it. And being kind is a big part of it. You know, be kind of people, make every moment count, spend time with family, you know, appreciate things. These are some of the, the kind of the reoccurring themes. And it really is because time doesn't stop. Right. And so you don't know what you don't know. And you think as a, as a teenager in the twenties or thirties that, this life is going to go on forever. Mortality, it hits you quick and understanding. And so some of these things that I've learned kind of transitioning into your question is those intergenerational kind of interactions. We have people that, that need volunteer service for high schools. Um, there's civic organizations that will come into our community. We'll have activities where the high school students or elementary kids will come in and kind of interact with, with our seniors. And so some of the seniors, a lot of it is uh, kind of one-on-one. -on -one. And so they'll interact and they'll, we'll have kind of story time or generational time where the senior gets to know the high school students and understanding what their trials and tribulations are of them growing up as a kid. And they'll interact and, you know, and talk about what they felt like when they were a kid. And there's a lot of things, school, and how music played into, into, into life, um, how activities, how travel, how food, how, how a lot of things interact with, with how they were interacting with versus how the, these high school students or, or grade school children are, are doing. And so it gives them appreciation. And we kind of come together after, you know, a day of, of socializing and, you know, the high school kids will, they'll kind of get up and they'll, they'll kind of stand up and they'll say, this is what I've learned. Is there anything yeah. you'd like to ask my dad now? Yes, very much so. How has the journey been? You're going through putting your mom into a senior living community right now as we speak. What are your thoughts and what is your take on these senior living communities? Are you enjoying the process? Are you learning from the process? What are some of the things that I can understand that I need to get better as an executive director from your standpoint, going through this process, probably for the first time with your loved one? I love that. That's a great question. And I think even just some of what you've shared, he's going to have feedback on. So thank you. I think that this 
will benefit a lot of people because like you said, there's a lot of boomers and we're all getting older. And this is something that we're going to have to face, even if you don't want to. I agree with you 100%. Thank you, Joe. This is amazing catching up with you. Well, thank you very much. It was very exciting. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Joe brings up a very interesting question about can you find a place for an elderly parent or grandparent and what goes through a family's mind on making this choice? And as you brought up with some very good cross-examination questions, is that it's not a perfect system, and yet you have healthcare centers opening up for care of people on almost every block in America because we have an elderly population and the quality of life we want to all have right till the end, as well as there's an enormous expense to it. And people that are younger, do they have a responsibility to take care of those that took care of them and bringing them into this world? It's such a short window that we have in life. And yet we do want to live life to the fullest every day that we can. But I think the issue with my mom was, is that she wanted to really be surrounded by loved ones and yet still have the care to be able to do as many activities and things as she can, but to be loved right till the end. And if you go into a facility, do you really have that community love and friendship to take the place of family members that should be giving it to you in the first place? To me, that's the crux of the whole story right there. In my mom's case, and in most of my grandparents' case, they couldn't really find that in a facility, and at times were even mistreated in facilities where the home option and getting the best services we can at home and getting loved ones to be at home, at least in our family, seemed to always be the option that is chosen best. He did say taking care of the elderly isn't for the faint of heart. It isn't for weaklings. That's for sure. You've got to really be strong. And as we get older, you know, you think that you're a warrior when you were young. You got to be twice or three times the warrior to go through life at near the end. And certainly as you get older, the good thing about getting older is that your experiences add up, good ones and bad ones, where you really get a little taste of wisdom. You get a little taste of being a little wiser. You get a little taste of appreciating some of the real finer points of life. And I think we all hopefully will experience that. But not everyone has the money or the resources to really take care of their family when it's near end of life. And you have a government also that has programs in place that if you're a little too hard to take care of, you know the story that I make fun of with uh, Dr. Kevorkian or Mrs. Kevorkian, they come in the room where they want to give you the morphine and put you down. I don't know if that's really right, but I do understand that there's a lot of people that go through life where they don't really want to be a burden on loved ones or anyone around them, that they rather leave this world than to put a hardship on anyone else. So I do appreciate that point of view. I don't necessarily agree with it fully, but I certainly understand it and understand that that is a viable choice. And what happens when that morphine doesn't kill you off quick enough? That was really interesting. Then they want to release you and send you home. But I don't know that ever happening to anyone that I know of. And I know thousands of people now that have died through my life experience. And once they give you that morphine and they up it to the right right amount, you're out of here. Okay. I, I don't know of anyone that has survived getting morphine and being able to walk away from it. You'll take a hard pass on the morphine? 
<laughs> I think morphine is usually the, the end of the line for you. It's not easy to find good care, though, and you've seen that. You really wanted to have vetted AIDS Well, we even. And, and as you know, in mom's case, we wanted her to maybe have a facility that could maybe keep a little better eye on her and to be able to give her the rehabilitation. We had success in a rehab center with Rose once, and she really liked it there. And even when she had that heart attack in Louisville, she went into a nursing home where she was able to, again, have that community of people that were interested in talking to her and socializing with her. She was able to recover twice in two different facilities, once in Louisville and once in Florida. But when you have a bad experience at one of these facilities, that spells doom. When you see that, you can be really mistreated, whether it's your father or your mother or you experience someone else that's really mistreated in one of these facilities, that just about X's that off as an option in someone's mind in that family. So I, I agree with Joe that he has a big job to really make sure that he does community building where he, he's able to have the care and the response of activities to keep someone motivated to staying alive and encouraging them to stay alive and living the best that they can and to take advantage of a facility that will offer all the right services. Your Uncle Julius and Aunt Sweetie are living in a palace. They even call it the palace, where it's like they're living in paradise. It's very expensive. But the fact is, is that I don't think it's any more money than the amount of money that I'm spending on mom right now. So the truth of the matter is, is that if you have the right setup and you have the right personality that can live in an assisted place with all the services and participate in all the activities and are used to that, it's, it's very good for some people, but it's not very good for others. And in my mom's case, she has, you know, a couple of bad experiences and that negates the good experiences that she's had with it. But fortunately, she's had some excellent home health care services that have come. We've hired her three aides. And at this juncture of time, we have a different family member spending a week to 10 days where she's never alone. She's always got a family member over there. And if you can do that, she's hanging in there pretty good and has made a very big comeback from a lot of the bad health issues that have occurred over the last uh, year with her. Thank God I miss her. Well, as you know, Jessica's there now and her daughter Rhonda is there and she just had to overcome COVID. And I was supposed to go down there, but I ended up with COVID. And I'm not so sure that that's what really happened the last time she went to a facility that had treated her nicely was that everyone got COVID in the place and she didn't get the same attention. They didn't have the same people. They didn't have the same caring and kindness in order for a facility to be able to compete with what we're doing. Don't you have to have that same kindness and interactions and respect for the person that's living there? And I, I don't think it's easy to do. And if it's not done right, where do these people go if you don't have the resources to be able to do everything like we're doing for mom? I do think that you have to be able to give a loved one every opportunity to enjoy their life and be able to be as active as possible. And in order for that really to happen is that you have to not only have care and kindness, but you have to have love there and encouragement, just like they're a small child, doesn't blossom without the same ingredients. All right. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 